Well, the entire world loves a good story. And there's some stories that we're not all that familiar with. For example, in 1944, in the spring or in the summer and fall of 1944, right, there was this Allied invasion and great things were happening as the war was unfolding. And the U.S. started a series of bombing attacks against the German oil fields or the German oil reserves. They needed to cripple the supplies for the Germans. So they were flying these sorties, 20,000 of them across southern Europe. Well, of course, the Germans were shooting down these airplanes and the, the air crew were coming down. And as they're floating down, they're sure expecting that they're going to be captured and probably killed. Instead, here's what happened. As these soldiers were floating down, the Serbian peasants were tracking the chutes as they came. And they would grab up these U.S. soldiers and bring them into hiding, sometimes for weeks at a time, feeding them, housing them, taking care of them. But here's the deal, even though the U.S. soldiers were in friendly hands, they were still in enemy territory. But there's a subplot. There was something else happening. The Serbian peasants built a crude airstrip in the forest crude airstrip in the forest. They were the only ones that knew as these soldiers were coming down where that strip was. And so as they were hiding them, as they were feeding them, there were huge challenges if you were one of the air crewmen. Right here you are in enemy territory. You don't know really the, the bearings. You don't know the territory. You don't know the land. You don't know the language. You're confused. There's all of these challenges. And then there's these Serbian peasants through some kind of broken language tells them, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. And so these, these crew were, were finally following these Serbian peasants all through these paths, all through these plans for weeks at a time, asking all kinds of questions. Where are we going? Nobody would give them the information. You just got to trust us. And then they would get them to the airstrip. And there... They were, a res they were rescued and escaped enemy territory. The amazing thing about this story is that every crew that went down in that region was rescued. Amazing story. And as you reflect on that, think about it this way. This is such a bold description of the Christian life. Here we are, we've been dropped down into enemy territory. We've got questions, we've got fears, we've got anxiety, we've got all kinds of things that we're wrestling with with challenges. And yet, there was a Jewish peasant who came and rescued us while we were in enemy territory. And he said, if you follow me, I will get you to freedom. So if Operation Halyard was the World War II operation, 
It's Operation Freedom for the Christians under the Jewish peasant, Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to begin a great study in the book of Romans, and it's about freedom, it's about joy, it's about excitement, it's about God, it's about you, and it's about me. So if you're online this morning, we're so glad you're with us. If all of us could open up to Romans 1, if you have a device, if you have a Bible, we all need to be in this amazing statement of God. Let me read just a couple verses in Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. Follow along. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you want to rescue us. And you take this huge first step of bringing us into your family, but we're still in enemy territory. And you want to bring us fully and finally to safety. God, we just got to confess, sometimes it's hard to follow our Jewish peasants. Sometimes it's hard to understand what He wants from us in particular situations. Sometimes it's confusing. And God, if we're honest, we got to say sometimes we have fear and sometimes there's anxiety. But God, this morning as You speak through Your Word, build our life of faith such that we obey You in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. What a great, great letter we're beginning to study. Obviously, as we read it, we need to think about how this works in, in New Testament times, right? When I write a letter, if I was writing a letter to Fox Valley Church, I would write, dear Fox Valley Church, da-da-da-da-da. Say a bunch of things that maybe you would read, maybe not read, right? And at the end, you would see warmly in Christ or yours with your fulfilling the great commission pastor Tom right that's how we do letters but in the first century notice what they do they, they couple these things together right Paul begins with his name where we end with our name he begins with his name I mean you need to know who the letters from and then of course he he brings in his recipients to the people at Rome and all that's put into uh, the front end of this letter. Now, Paul is writing this letter about 27, 28 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Churches are, are spotting the landscape by this time. Things were happening, and Paul is writing to this church. 
And, and Paul, as we know, some of you are familiar, but let me just say, he uh, was a Jewish rabbi. That was his heritage, right? He tells us that he was a, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. He says that he was a Pharisee, right? One of the elite group at the time. And as a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, there was a time when he despised Christianity and everything to do with this sect of these people called Christians. He says that he persecuted the church. So not only did he despise Christianity, he was persecuting the church. He was in the mob that killed the first martyr. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, but something happened in his life. We're going to explore that over the next couple of weeks, but it so radically changed him, and it's going to change you as you read these things through the book of Romans. Well, this morning, to make things simple, I want to answer two questions. Here's the first question we want to go after. Do you see yourself in God's story? Do you see yourself in God's story? Becomes an important way of how we see ourselves, how we live our lives, and where we think we're going to find purpose, where we get a sense of destiny, what we want our lives to be all about. And so the Apostle Paul is bringing us into that question. Now, as we look at this, let me bring us back to verse 1, right? We, we find ourselves... We got Paul, right? So that, that's pretty clear. That's pretty simple. He describes himself, first of all, as a servant of King Jesus or Christ Jesus. There'll be a reason in a moment why you'll see I use the word king there. He is also called to be an apostle. So we get the idea of a servant or a slave. In the first century, most people would have read that word as slave. We're a little less comfortable using that word today. He sees him as someone sent by God. But then here's the third part. He is set apart for the gospel of God. When we think about Paul, we need to recognize that he sees himself, first of all, as a slave, he sees himself as an apostle, and he sees himself set apart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we read this, let's go a little further, and then I'll make a few more comments. It says that this gospel, good news, it was promised beforehand. In other words, it didn't start with Jesus. It didn't start with Christianity. It was promised beforehand. Look what it says, through His prophets. That is, all the prophets beginning with Moses all the way through the Old Testament because he's talking about the Holy Scriptures. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? That was the prophet Moses, one of the greatest prophets of all times. And he was starting to see that God had a huge plan in place. But these prophets that were writing, look what it says. It says that they were writing concerning His Son. 
that God would send someone, his son, that's what's so amazing, that would descend from David, King David. The pinnacle of the Old Testament kings, King David, Jesus descended from him. So when we go back and we look at the words like this, Christ Jesus, the word Christ up there is a reference to the Messiah. And the Messiah was literally the anointed one, but the one who would be a king. Most often, as they read the word Messiah, they understood that he would be a king. And so when he mentions David, we become very clear that he's talking about really a servant of King Jesus. The elasticity of the word Messiah, the the spectrum of understanding the word Christ can bring in the idea, and I think clearly here, that He is the King. So as we think about it, Jesus then is the King, and Paul, through some kind of radical transformation that we'll talk about in future weeks, fits into God's big story. Notice the description. A servant, an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of the king. He is putting himself in this huge story of God. And that becomes significant as we read the entire story, as we look at this idea. What I want you to hear in this is just as God through the person of Jesus Christ, set apart the Apostle Paul. He set apart you. He set apart you. That becomes significant. Now, as we think about the development of Christianity, we think about the church of Jesus Christ, I don't want you to have a false notion that God was looking at all the people in the first century and saying, man, i got to find someone who could help launch the church. I need to look for somebody that could be an apostle of such a stature that could really put up with the persecution, who could really handle all the hardship. That's the wrong picture. God wasn't fishing around. God wasn't begging that someone would say yes to him. What Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter 1 is that he was set apart in his mother's womb. Before he ever went into this world and into this life, the point is that this sovereign God, this King Jesus stands supreme over everything and he's leading human history in the direction he wanted it to go. And nobody is going to deter God's plan. No one is going to derail what God wants to accomplish. And God is using people like this. So there's this idea of this big story. Now, as we think about this big story, one of the things that we saw in my description of Romans was a little tagline. And the tagline was, what the world needs to hear. 
what the world needs to hear. So as we study the book of Romans over the next several weeks, the tag is what the world, the entire world needs to hear. And you are asking, because I can read it in your face, why does the entire world need to hear the book of Romans? Let me give you five reasons why the entire world needs to understand the book of Romans. Here's the first one. Romans tells us who God really is. We live in a time, especially in the 21st century, when people make up and dream up and think all these different ideas about who God is. You could never clearly get a picture of God. So God says, let me tell you who I really am. He wants us to know his nature, that he is holy. He wants us to know that he's all-powerful. He wants us to know that he is all-wise. These are significant elements of God's nature. And you can try to figure this out on your own, and certainly we could come up with pieces of it, but God in the book of Romans is going to reveal who he really is. Now, he doesn't start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. God is the creator. He's the one that stands over heaven and earth. This is who God is. He stands as Lord. There is no one outside of his control. And then that story moves from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. I remember a few years ago, a very popular and prominent pastor said these very unfortunate things. He said, we need to unhinge the Old Testament from the New Testament. And you know why. There's difficult stories in their Old Testament. There's things that God does that we're like, in this 21st century mindset, we can't handle, we can't tolerate. So the best thing to do is say, let's unhinge it and talk only about the New Testament. Let me be really clear on this. We will never understand the New Testament apart from the promises and the direction of the Old Testament. You can't do it. The opening statements, Christ Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one who was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures, all of this, we can't unhinge it. We need to actually bring it all together. Let me give you a second one. Romans lays out our biggest problem. Our biggest problem. And you know, and I know, there's a lot of problems in our world. If you just look at what's happening in the United States, we got issues of financial crisis, right? We just keep taking on more debt. We spend more money. And some people will say, our biggest problem is the national debt. And then you get talking to other people and they'll say, our biggest problem is immigration. We've got to deal with this. Then you talk to other people. Our biggest problem is and they just keep, this list keeps going, racism, it goes into family, the broken families, and this list gets long. And Romans cuts through all the nonsense 
And it says, you want to know what your biggest problem is? You are alienated from God because of your rebellion against the supreme commander. We need to hear that. We need to understand that our biggest problem is not global warming, human trafficking, war upon war all over the world. Our biggest problem is that we have rebelled against God. Well, that presses us into the third. Romans explains God's only solution. There's only one solution. It's not voting the right candidate into office. It's not a one-world government. It's not going to get the Supreme Court in the right place. The only solution to our rebellion against our Creator, the King Jesus, is that He died on the cross to pay for your rebellion, my rebellion, the rebellion of the world. And Romans unpacks this so beautifully. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks. The world needs to hear this solution. Well, let me hit a fourth. Romans gives us the unity of the entire Bible. This letter that we're going to study is going to show you and link together the unity from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22. And then finally, Romans tells us how to live well. This is the age of the Spirit. God sent His Spirit. When Jesus, the Jewish peasant, the carpenter, was crucified, died, and buried, He was raised from the dead, He ascended to heaven, and He said, when I ascend, I'm going to send another comforter. He was the first comforter, He sends another the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works with us to change us, to transform us from the inside so that we can live according to God's plan. This is amazing. This is why we need to study the book of Romans. Well, let's go back to this idea of the big story, right? My first point or my first question is, do you see yourself in God's big story? Now, there's lots of big stories. You understand that, right? There's lots of big stories. There's this story called evolution where there was this big bang and everything just kind of evolved. And there's lots of people that live in that big story. There's no room for a creator there. Then there's other people that say, well, things have always existed. God has existed. People have existed. And they create some kind of model and and they fall into it. and, And there's a billion plus people that follow that big story. There's another big story called Buddhism, right? And, and that there's this just live good and then others will move into another big story of reincarnation and all these big stories. And what God does is say, I've got the big story and it's centered in the person of Jesus Christ. But most of us, after we get the big story, we kind of let things get a little foggy and we live in our own little small story. So if you're a woman, all of a sudden you start hearing how women should live in the 21st century. What makes them important? Why they're valuable? How they ought to move and shape their identity? 
Men are the same way in the 21st century. We get all kinds of voices. But in the big story of God, God says, wait a minute, I want to tell you something about women. I want to tell you that they're made in the image of God. I want to tell you how beautiful they are. I want to tell you that they're infinitely valuable. I want to tell the women of this 21st century that they don't have to earn God's approval, that they could never earn God's approval, that they simply need to receive it through Jesus Christ. I want to tell them that they don't have to try to work themselves into a dither to try to make themselves look good, that I have prepared good works for them to walk in. Right? I mean, it's a whole different mindset of how we live. The world tells us we get our significance in our careers. So if we have a good career and it holds us together, if we make a lot of money, that's really great, right? If we get a lot of toys, that really is significant. And the world tells us all this. And God says, wait a minute, that's not really going to fill you up. That's not really what's going to give you purpose. See, God's big story answers all of these other little things. But there's a problem. Sometimes we come to the place of wanting to write our own stories. Are you letting God write your story? Are you letting God break into your life and say, if you'll trust me, if you'll follow my Jewish peasant son, the one who died for you, the one who was raised, if you will follow him and trust him, he will get you out of enemy territory. And he will fill your life with more purpose, more significance, more joy, more peace than you could ever dream of. Are you going to let him, and no one can answer this question but you, are you going to let him write that story? Well, let me hit our second big question. Do you see your obedience coming through faith in the gospel? So let's go and look real quickly at what I'm talking about right here. The Apostle Paul wrote this that we received grace, that is just the gift of God, so that we could live in the big story to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Now that becomes a significant phrase. There's two nouns there, obedience and faith. And the question is, how do these get linked up? I think what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's saying they're like two sides of one coin. One side is obedience and the other side is faith. Or, as Karl Barth said it, he said it's more like lightning and thunder. Faith is the lightning and what follows? Thunder. Obedience. So what Paul is saying to us And asking us to consider, do you see your obedience coming through faith? Now remember, this was significant for the Apostle Paul. Because for him, he was trying to be obedient to the law. He was trying often to try to earn favor with God. And what is so new as God broke in with Jesus Christ, is that our obedience 
springs out of our faith in King Jesus. So that's where the Apostle Paul is taking us. Let me say it a little differently. Our faith in Christ Jesus always leads or brings about obedience. That's where God wants us to move. So if we were dropped into enemy territory, just like those soldiers had to trust those Serbian peasants to get them to the airstrip, to get them out of enemy territory, we have to trust Jesus Christ. We need to obey His instruction as He follows us, leads us, not to an airstrip, but to the promised land, to the place we sang about a few moments ago, a place of the new earth and the new heaven. So as I want to take this, this idea of faith is ultimately a posture. It's a heart attitude that we have to embrace every day to relinquish our lives to Jesus Christ. So here's how I say it so often. The best life possible. Do you want the best life possible? Say yes. Do you want the best life possible? Yeah, we do. We all strive for it. And what happens is sometimes we start striving the way the world says. But what God says is the best life possible is to surrender all, everything that you have to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. The best life possible on this side of glory, when I say on this side of glory, before Jesus returns or until he takes you home, the best life possible is to surrender your time, your treasures, all your talents, your hopes, and your dreams to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. That's hard. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all want to write our own story. And Jesus is warning us by asking us a question. Will you allow your faith to bring you into following that Jewish peasant? Because if you say no, you'll never find the best life possible on this side of glory. So let me just close with two very serious action points. Here's the first one. Will you, on a daily basis, surrender your life? Just wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to surrender all that I have. My time, my treasures, my talents, my hopes and dreams to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. That's a scary prayer. But men... Are you in? It's a good time to say yes, right? <laughs> Ladies, are you in? See, if we would do that daily, amazing things are going to happen. Here's the second thing. I'd like you and I to work together on memorizing a scripture. Romans 1.16. The Apostle Paul said this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation, for deliverance, for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Would you work and memorize that with me? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the good news. That's the big story centered in Jesus Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen? If you do this daily, if you surrender daily and continue to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, glorious and great things are going to happen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the truth and power and goodness of your word. You are so great. You give us a vision of this glorious day of all that you want to do, of all that you have for us. God, help us celebrate it and experience it day by day as we surrender everything to you. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.